Dear Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. I thank you for the opportunity for all the things you have prepared, which may or may not coincide with anything we've prepared. I thank you, Lord, and I I pray, fill us with your spirit, open your word up to us, even as we open up your word to us, and open up our hearts to you. We give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so some of you may say, I have never experienced anything like what I've just seen in that video. And others of you say, that was pretty much my childhood. So I I understand that there's there's a spectrum here. But that hits way too close to home probably for way too many of us. We're just like, no, no, no. It's crucial that we focus on these incidental details because otherwise people will judge us and we must be judged appropriately. And by that I mean like nothing we actually are. It's easy for us to do that. And it's easy for us to do that even in the things that we want to get all Christian-y about. It's easy for us to say, well, it's important that that we have this this wonderful Easter brunch to show that, or Easter breakfast or Easter lunch or what have you, to show that we really take this seriously. I'm so busy with this, and I'm so busy making sure all the Easter baskets are fine and all the and all the ham is made or all the turkey or whatever you make that I, I, I can't actually worship God on Resurrection Sunday. Um, or I'm so focused on a white elephant exchange gift that I'm preparing for and having all our guests over that I, I, I forget to remind ourselves that it's, commemorating Jesus' birth. It's easy for us to forget the important details in the midst of the incidental details of life, right? And, and when we think of something like this, this video that we just saw, um, when we think of something like that, it's tempting for us to jump to, um, there's, there's a particular story in Scripture that, that maybe some of you in your minds even, even went to of somebody being distracted by the details. And I know that Sarah was planning to speak about this specific story, which is about two sisters. And I purposely didn't read her notes, so I have no idea what she was going to say this morning. But I promised her I would, I would share about those same two sisters. Anybody have a, have a glimmer as to what two sisters in Scripture I'm talking about? Mary and Martha. In John chapter 11, and if you want to join us, you can join us. I'll be flipping around a little bit. But we're in John chapter 11, John chapter 12, Luke chapter 10 a couple places but in john chapter 11 we're told there was a man named lazarus who was sick and he was from bethany the village of mary and her sister martha now i assume sarah was originally thinking oh martha mother's day superman and batman's moms were both named martha important plot point right okay anyway i think she's talking about the importance as we think about being parents not just moms though it's mother's day so you moms can pay special attention but even any of us, whether we're moms or dads or just pouring our lives into others, to remind ourselves that it's all about priorities. It's all about stopping and thinking, wait, why am I doing what I'm doing? Because I think the three different stories that we get in John 11, John 12, Luke 10, about Mary and Martha, all three of those stories are all about priorities and making sure that your priorities are right. And, and by that I don't mean good priorities versus bad priorities. Sometimes that's the way people will talk about this story. Good priorities, bad priorities. It's not that. It's about good priorities and better priorities. So maybe I should back up. You're in John 11, but I'm going to go to to Luke 10, because that's actually the first time we see Mary and Martha. In Luke 10, verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to them. 
Okay, now we know that this village is Bethany because we just heard that in John's gospel. That's about 15 minutes outside of Jerusalem. It's in Morton. They live in Morton, okay? And so there's a suburb of Jerusalem and and he's stopping there and this woman opened up her home to them, which, which isn't just being nice. At a time when inns were not the nicest of places, for Jesus to be born in a stable, that was probably the nicest place in the area, okay? It was something important for you to open up your home, to show hospitality. In the Middle East, it's still huge to show hospitality. And that's more than just, hey, you want to crash on our sofa? It's saying, no, no, I will give you the best bed. I will prepare a room for you. I'll make food for you. I'll spend hours making sure that you, I become your innkeeper for, for the, your time as my guest. She's taking this really, really seriously to open up her home, not just to Jesus, but also to his disciples. This isn't just a, hey, Jesus, you're a great guy. It's, I have, I have 13 sudden house guests that I'm taking care of. Because that's the most that's that's the most powerful thing that you can do in the Middle East is to be a good host, to give them healthy meals, to give them a good bed, to to wash their feet, or to have your servant wash their feet, which actually suggests that later when when Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, he's not only being the consummate servant, right, doing the thing that nobody really wants to do, but he's also being the consummate host. He's he's combining both of those things with saying, you know what? I want to show you that, that I'm humble and I can meet your lowest physical need, but I also want to show this relational connection where I say, I, I've got you, I've got your backs. I'm here for you. I love you well. Both of those together. Anyway, Martha opened up her home to him. And she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And this is the part that most of the people focus on. They go, oh, yeah, look at it. Mary's a good girl doing the right thing, and Martha's all distracted because she's a busybody making all this food when she should have been doing the important stuff. But that's not fair to Martha. It's picking on Martha, and it's looking at her from our perspective. Because she's not just a busybody who's trying to work so that she can be considered a good hostess. She's focused on being a good hostess. She's like, if I want them to have a place to sleep, I have to prepare beds for them. If I want them to eat anything, there is no dominoes. If I want them to eat something, I have to make them something to eat, right? So if I'm going to open my door to them, my home to them, I need to take this seriously, right? So Martha is, is not just being a busybody. She's doing the right thing. She's doing what society expected her to do. She's doing what what her guests needed her to do. She's doing what she herself wanted to be doing for them. And Mary was just hanging out, letting Martha do all the work. So which one had the wrong priority here? And you can't say Martha, because Martha did not have the wrong priority, did she? No. Everything she was doing was right. And you can't say Mary. Because we're told that she sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had to say. She had the right priority. Martha had the right priority. You can't say either of them had the wrong priority. But Martha was distracted. Although, you know, that's not a great word. It's not really what the Greek is getting at. It's not really distracted. It's, 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 she's, she's become hyper-focused. All of her focus has gone tunnel vision on all these incidental details. That's what the word is getting at. So Martha has become 
tunnel focused on all the preparation that had to be made, but that had to be made, all the stuff that had to be done. And she came to Jesus and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Which is a totally legit concern, isn't it? Is this stuff that needs to be done? If you're inviting somebody to your home and you're being a good host, you kind of have to, you can't sit there and go, come to my home. There's no food, no soap, no water, and you'll have to sleep in the street. Bye. No. She's being a good host. Mary didn't help Martha, as far as we can tell. She, just, she didn't help Martha and then go sit and listen to Jesus. She didn't say, tag team, I'll go listen to Jesus for a little bit while you do stuff, and then we'll you know, tap, and, and I'll come in, and I'll finish the preparations, and you listen to Jesus. She didn't say, hey, why don't you come listen to him with me, and then we'll both do the preparation. No, as far as we can tell, she just left all the work for Martha and plopped down to listen. I'm not saying that Mary did everything right. And I think we do a disservice to the text if we say, yes, Martha had the wrong, just the wrong priorities. And Mary did everything right. Like, as far as I can tell, Mary did this wrong. And Martha had the right heart. Ish and ish. Ish. Because let's be clear, if Martha had just said that, hey, shouldn't she be doing some of the stuff that we're supposed to be doing? This is literally our full-time job. If she just said, Lord, I, I'm, I'm having to do all this prep for 13 sudden house guests, I would really like some help. I don't know. Would Jesus have said, you know what? And we genuinely appreciate it. Bless your heart. You're a good person. Thank you. But she didn't, she didn't just say that. Like so many of us, she kept talking. <laughs> you had a really good argument until you kept talking. She kept talking. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Oh, man. I'm having to do this by myself as a statement of fact, and that's not cool. But this is throwing your sister under the bus because you're frustrated. You're throwing her under the Jesus bus. Jesus, could you drive the bus over my sister? Because I'm frustrated with her. Martha had been a good person doing good things for a good man for the good reasons, but here she threw the moral high ground to the wind because she was stressed, and now she's getting petulant. She's focusing on the details of the work instead of on the service. Instead of I'm serving, she's like, details of work, she should do, and you ceased to be showing the love and the service that was the hallmark of your right mentality beforehand. Now, this starts to get the wrong priority. What she was doing was not wrong. That she was becoming hyper-focused, not great. This is the wrong priority because that, that is what Jesus chides her for. He says, Martha, Martha, warm, loving, little edge to it, Martha, you're worried and you're upset about many things. I get it. I get it. Doing those things was not the problem. Stressing over them is. Throwing your sister under the bus because you're stressed is. It's never a good thing to lose yourself to this kind of worry, to this kind of stress. It never honors God. It never honors anyone involved to be worried about things like this, to be upset about things like this. I mean, the details matter. They truly do. If you know me at all, you know I'm a detail freak. Details 
matter. But you have to remember that the most important detail of any kind of preparation like this is the people involved, the relationships reflected, the heart being shown. Why did you do what you did? Why are you here for worship? Why do you pray? Why do you sing? Why? That you open your mouth and music comes out is great. But the why should be because we want to worship God. We want to honor him. That's the thing that matters. That's the thing that's really crucial because Jesus says, Martha, 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 you're worried and you're upset about so many things, but only one thing is actually needed. Don't get me wrong. There were a lot of things that had to get done. There were a lot of things left undone. But of all these things, there's only one thing that was absolutely necessary. A lot of things you prioritized. But only one thing that was crucial. But if you guys are going to eat in my home, I, you have to, I have to make bread, right? If I don't make any bread, you have no bread to eat. You're absolutely right. That's absolutely true. But as I recall, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word. comes from the mouth of God. That's, that's what Mary's listening to, guys. It's not, Martha, it's not that what you're talking about isn't important. It's just not the one necessary thing, which is to focus on God. Trust me, I'm looking forward to the bread. I want to eat. I'm hungry. But if I don't eat, but we still hear from God... We did the one necessary thing, right? Yes? Say all the people going, I hope he's done in time for me to get to lunch. Mary's doing what's better. I'm not saying that what you did is wrong, Martha, by any stretch. You're doing good. The stress is wrong. Mary's chosen what's better, the one necessary thing. And it's not going to be taken from her. I'm never going to chew someone out for prioritizing Jesus. For prioritizing the eternal. I don't care how important that temporal thing is. What should you invest in? The thing that's going to last for a minute or the thing that lasts all day? The thing that lasts all day or the thing that lasts for a year? The thing that lasts for a week or the thing that lasts for eternity? What should we prioritize? I mean, that's, that's the crucial thing. Ten years from now, I'm not going to remember what I had for lunch yesterday. Important though it was, and yummy though it was. Ten years from now, I'm not going to remember it. But 10,000 years from now, how my actions, my words, my heart reflected God to the people around me will still resound throughout earth and heaven. 10,000 years from now, that'll still be on my heart. I won't remember lunch yesterday. So why on earth would I focus so hard on the details and, and, and incidental things of lunch if it means I have to fling my witness, fling my relationships to the wind? I don't want to ever do that. Which brings me back to where this started. It makes me think about being a mom or being a dad or being a discipler who's pouring their lives into somebody else, whatever. But I think about being specifically a mom. The whole enterprise of mom, momness, momhood, momhood, the whole point of it, right, is that it's a social construct where 
you are responsible for keeping this whole human being alive. If you do nothing, there's no way that thing is going to take care of itself, right? Like for an extended period of time, not even like a week or something, you go, no, it's going to be months before they can drive a car. They can't take care of themselves, right? The whole point of being a mom is taking care of doing this, and they're going to die if you don't take it seriously. So it's never wrong to make sure that your baby is properly fed or properly dressed or is safe in her crib or he's playing with safe toys and not with broken glass. It's never wrong to take that seriously. But if all of that takes precedence over loving that child, you are not a parent. You're an orphanage. Don't leave your children orphans in your own home. Love them. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about looking at them doe-eyefully. Oh, you're so beautiful. Or warm and fuzzies or snuggling. Those are great. Those are great. Those are great. Absolutely part of love. But so should changing diapers be an act of love. So should deciding how exactly I need to punish you should be an act of love, shouldn't it? I need to be loving. And by that I mean committed to somebody's needs. I want to commit to every need all the time. Their physical, their emotional, their spiritual needs. And if you say, well, I'm not a parent, fine. You should be pouring your heart into other people. You should be teaching other people. You should be discipling other people and meeting their needs, physical, emotional, spiritual. That should be important to all of us. But it's Mother's Day, so moms, it should be important to us to say, wait, what are the most crucial things that I can do? What's the, what's the really truly necessary thing? And if Jesus was right, if Mary and Martha were both technically good and technically both askew maybe, but Mary had the better priority and the better heart for God, then, then, then what should we learn from that? How should that affect us? And it can't be that you should offer your home to, to travelers and then leave them out in the street to starve. Can't be, well, yeah, don't do anything. Just sit there and talk to them. That's the most important thing. No. If we try to be like Mary, to feel strongly like Mary, but then we do it within a stressful, worried, lost in the focus on the details, Martha kind of framework, if that's what we do, I'm going to love you, but it's all within this framework of, and it has to be this way, and this is all so important, then we're not really going to be very loving. And it's not going to go to healthy places. We're just going to be really emotional and we're ultimately going to be drawing everybody around us into our stress pool. Isn't that what Martha's doing? Hey, Jesus, come into my stress pool with me. Jesus, would you please go drag Mary into my stress pool with me? I mean, you're important, Lord, but it's within this focus on these details. Lost in that focus. But instead, if we work and we serve like Martha... We say, I am genuinely committed to doing the right thing for the right reasons. But we do it within this loving, attentive, relationally God-focused, Mary sort of framework. Then not only are we going to be loving, but we're ultimately going to be the most effective in the long run at doing what we're trying to do. We may or may not skip some incidental detail here or there, and this is certainly not a, a license for irresponsibility. But, but we'll be doing what we do not 
because of some sort of societal expectation or our own expectations, but because we're committed to loving others and meeting their needs because we love them and because we actively want to honor God. Don't be Mary within a Martha's framework. Be Martha within a Mary framework. Take the best of both sisters. Especially if we're talking about parents, especially if we're talking about mothers. I encourage you. If you're, if you're Mary within a Martha framework, you're going to drive everybody bonkers. If you're Martha within a Mary framework, you're going to love the people around you well. That's what we're looking for. That's what we want. To be the pragmatist who, who focuses on getting things done and done well, but doing that truly. And I, I don't just mean in lip service. I mean honestly, truly, doing that because you love people. Do it within the context of loving those around you instead of just loving the incidentals well. Because that way we can forget the whole purpose behind why we're doing those incidentals in the first place. So let me go back to John. Because you're still in John 11, right? Because technically we're in John 11. There's this man named Lazarus. He's sick. He's from Bethany, Mary, Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Which is actually a story that happens in the next chapter. He's talking about something that's apparently so famous, he doesn't even have to have talked about it yet before he can talk about it. So in chapter 12, just flip the page. Chapter 12, six days before the Passover, we're told in verse 1, a week before Jesus dies, he arrives at Bethany where Lazarus lived. He lived there after being raised from the dead. Love that sentence. And here a dinner was being given in Jesus' honor, and Martha served because of course she did. She didn't cease being Martha. She's still Martha. She served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with Jesus. And then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, which is nuts! You know what nard is? It's this thick, gooey resin stuff. And it is so potent that what you do is, every day you take just like a little bit, you mix it with a little bit of oil, and you like dab it behind your ear. A tiny little bit. It's extremely expensive, but you mix it, you dilute it so that it lasts for the rest of your lifetime. She took like about a third of a pound of this stuff, undiluted, and smeared it all over Jesus' feet. It's like a year's worth of salary, like 40 grand, let's say, 30, 40 grand worth of nard, and smeared it all over Jesus' feet, the smelliest, yuckiest, dirtiest part of the human body in their minds. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. I'm sure it was. If a tiny dollop of it, a tiny dab mixed with oil will last you for a a day or two and you'll smell profound, what would it smell like if you took a third of a pound of that and rubbed it all? I'm pretty sure if you went to the Holy Land, it still smells like her nard. Okay? This has got to be like the, the most potent aftershave ever and she poured it on his feet and then wiped it with her own hair that's crazy because you know mary's the emotional one right martha's the practical one mary's the emotional one she's crazy because one of his disciples judas iscariot you know the good guy the one who's later to betray him objected he said why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor it was worth a year's rate $40,000 worth of nard on his feet. Just wasted it. 
How many starving people could have been ministered to? Because clearly, just like Martha, just like the, the chapter before, you have Judas coming to Jesus complaining that Mary is being emotional and missing the whole point of what's really important. Right? Just like the chapter before? No. Because we're told that Judas didn't really say this because he cared about the poor, but because he's a thief and the keeper of the money bag, and he used to help himself to what was put into it. He's literally stealing from Jesus. And he's like, I can't steal as much if she's spending all of our money to do this. She's wasting my potential theft. I was planning to steal some of that. She wasted it on his feet. Didn't Jesus know that Judas was this kind of a guy? Of course he did. He knew who Judas was when he, when he called him. He knew what Judas was going to be when he called him. But here's the beauty of it. Like a good parent, like a good mom, a good dad, Jesus says, oh, I know all about you, Judas, and I love you. You're a broken, messed up monkey, and I love you. I'll always love you. I'd like it if you weren't broken and messed up. Man, I'd really love it if you actually meant that, Judas, that you cared about the poor. But Jesus says, I'm focused on the real need here. And the real need is to be reaching out to broken, messed up monkeys like, you know, us. Right? He could have argued all that to Judas. He could have said, hey, you know, the whole idea is I'm trying to be reaching out to... He could have pointed out that Judas is just being greedy. He didn't do any of that. What he said is, he's, leave her alone. It's intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. This isn't wasting this perfume, Judas. It's what this perfume had always been for. Mary may not even realize that that's what it's always been for. I'm telling you, it's an investment. Because that's what it's always been for. This moment. Think about it like that. If you think about your resources, your car, your money, whatever, I don't care. Think about your resources and you go, well, should I, should I, I don't have that much, should I give this to help out that minister or to help out that person or should I, I have a limited amount of time this week, should I really give some of it to? It kind of changes your priorities. It kind of changes the way you look at your priorities if you remind yourself Maybe that's why God gave you that time or that car or that money in the first place. This isn't you being generous with your resources. Maybe this is you using the resources God gave you the way he gave them to you to use. Not generosity at all. It's, it would actually be stinginess not to. It would be potentially stealing from God like Judas to not use the resources the way God gave them to you to use. That's between you and God. Leave her alone, he says. Because you're, no, you're always going to have the poor among you, but you're not always going to have me. This is a priority thing. And, and Jesus is clearly not saying that it's wrong to take care of the poor. Obviously he cares about the poor. It's, no, it's not wrong to do that any more than it was wrong for, for Martha to be cooking bread for her guests. But there's what's good and there's what's better. And he says, no, it's truly good to help the poor, but Mary has one last chance, one more chance to do this for me, 
to honor Christ while Christ is here. And I think it's crucial that, yes, it's Judas complaining, but it's Martha who said nothing. She's apparently fine with this. Lazarus is sitting right there and says nothing. He's apparently fine with this. This is their household treasure. Mary, Martha, Lazarus. 40 grand worth of perfume. As far as we can tell, Lazarus and Martha said, yes. That's what it was for. I love that. Judas, he didn't want to help the poor. He didn't care. He was just focused on the incidentals. But insofar as they actually helped him emotionally, helped him personally, helped... Remember last week when we talked about Thomas? Thomas being a pragmatist who loved the Lord, did what he needed to do, but he did it because he actually wanted to honor Christ. It's almost like it's almost like Judas is the worst example of being Mary within a Martha framework. I'm going to complain and whine about the details because it's all about my emotions and about me. Whereas Thomas is the best example of being Martha in a Mary framework of saying, I want to be a pragmatist and do the right thing because I actually want to honor God with it. See how that works? Anyway, as a mom, as a dad, as a discipler, you've got to stop and think about the priorities that you're demonstrating to the people around you. Are you encouraging and you're edifying those whom you're serving? Because the details you do, you do out of love for them and out of love for God. Is that why you do it? And it's that love that's being reflected in what you're doing and how you're doing it. Or can you sometimes be so focused on the incidental details that you can miss the bigger picture of the people that you're missing out on, the God that you're sidelining? Because you're so focused on these incidental details that you, you've lost focus on the stuff that needs to be done. You go, but this needs to be done. You go, no, that should be done. This needs to be done. Did you put the big rocks in first and then fit the other ones around them? Because you're never going to be able to fit the big rocks in after you've filled everything up with the smaller ones. If Jesus came to your home, would he feel love there? Would he feel stress? Would he see the most important things being done? Or would he see just a lot of stuff being done? You want to make sure you've got the right heart, the right priorities. Because otherwise, if you're not drawing people to Christ... Sometimes you're just pushing away the very people you were intended to love. We don't want to do that. So in John chapter 11, because technically I'm in John chapter 11, so flip, flip the page back. Guy named Lazarus, sick, Bethany, Mary, Martha, Mar- Mary, hair, frit, nard. Now, the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. It's all about the relationship. It's all about love. And as we discussed last week, because he loved them, because he loved them, he didn't go to help Lazarus. He waited until Lazarus was dead so that he could use the situation to draw people closer to the Lord. He Marthaed within a Mary context. And when Martha heard that Jesus was finally coming, we're told in, in verse 26, um, or I'm sorry, verse 20, uh, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home because this time it's Martha focusing on Christ and Mary who's focusing on grieving. Martha's becoming a wonderful example because she's figuring stuff out. 
Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had only been there, my, my, my brother wouldn't have died. But, but I know, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I honestly don't think it's an indictment. I don't think she's, it's a jab against Jesus. I think this is her saying, it's an observation, but even now I still trust you. I still have faith in you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, yep, I know, I know. I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I know. It's like in a, in a Christian uh, funeral where we say, you know, Marty, Marty isn't really gone. She's just gone home. You know we'll see Jim again. You know that, you know that Lauren is with his Lord. You know. And she takes comfort in that. And Jesus said to her, I am, which is a phrase that no good Jew would use because it sounds way too much like the name of Yahweh. And Jesus uses it all the time because he's not afraid of accidentally sounding like he might be calling himself God. I am the resurrection and the life. You say, yes, he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus goes, I am that resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And think about what he's asking her. Do you believe? I'm calling myself the arbiter of who gets to live forever, who doesn't. I'm calling myself the giver of all life. I'm saying there is no other way for you to come to heaven except through me. There is nothing except my gift on the cross that will save you. Nothing. Not any good works, not following the law, not trying really hard, not being a good person. None of that is what saves you. What saves you is being forgiven and handed a new life. Do you believe that? And I love it. Martha says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. You are who was to come into the world. One of the first human beings, demons have said this several times, one of the first human beings to say this, to to openly testify to this, because Martha came to recognize there's good things and there's better things. There's things that ought to happen and there's things that need to happen. And she affirms Jesus as Lord and Christ and the Son of God. And at the end of the day, for each of us, and especially for you moms, for us as parents, it's Mother's Day, especially for you moms, at the end of the day, there's what's good and there's what's really actually needed. And at the end of the day, what's ultimately really needed is for each of us to fear God and follow his commandments, to train up our children in the way they should go so that when they're grown they also train up children the way they should go so that when they're grown, they also train up children the way they should go to fear God and to follow his commands. Ten years from now, you will not recall all the important, even the important details of your Mother's Day lunch time in ten minutes. You won't remember that ten years from now. Not all the details. But 10,000 years from now, the lessons that you reflect, the lessons you exhibit, the lessons you teach to your children that they then reflect, those reflections of love will resound throughout the world and throughout the cosmos 
because your relationship with God never changes and never ends then. And if that's the case, what do you invest in today? Best happy Mother's Day I can give you, and I'm sure Sarah would have done it so much better than I have, is to say, remind yourself of what you get, of what you get to do. You get to pour Jesus into those people in your lives, and you get to do it every day. You get to do that. Praise God. Praise God. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for the opportunity you give us, all of us, to pour you into those around us. Thank you, Lord. Be glorified by what we do and why we do it. In Jesus' name, amen.